Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us again today. Our guest today is Marjorie Smith. Uh, She's Marge to me because I've known her for a while now, and so is Stephanie. She's a great friend of ours and also very knowledgeable in the area of bereavement and the challenges we all go through on our grief journey. So, Marge, welcome. And would you give our listeners just a little bit of your background, please? Certainly. And thank you so much for having me back. It's great to be here again with you ladies. I enjoy this podcast very much, so it's great to be a part of it. I am a social worker by trade, an LCSW, if anyone's interested in those letters. My most recent and probably most important experience in relation to the podcast is 10 years of social work in a hospice agency. So I was helping people in home hospice deal with uh, what they were facing and their families as well. And then also I was the executive director of a two-bed hospice home, which are prevalent in our area in Rochester uh, for a few years. Currently, I am working with a Medicare population um, for Excellus Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh, So I'm not exactly focused on hospice anymore, but it is still the love of my life. (laughs) So, um, and end of life grief uh, areas are very important to me. So anything I can do to be a part of that, I do. So that's me. Great. We appreciate it very much. Okay. Our topic for today in general is to talk about dreaded tasks while grieving. And by tasks, of course, I mean those things that we all have to do at one point or another after someone we love have died. The dreaded part, y'all get that, right? There's certain things we just don't want to do. We put them off sometimes for years. And sometimes we even find ourselves thinking of very creative, inventive ways to avoid them completely until the day we die. So let's start. A very common dreaded task is cleaning out the closet of a loved one who has died. Often your spouse, but certainly it would apply to a child as well. For someone who's very, very close to you who dies, Marge, are there any guidelines when in your grief journey this should be done? Well, no. (laughs) It's the short and sweet answer. No. Good. I'm I'm safe then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a couple practical ideas that pop to mind. Do you need the space? Does that person who has died, uh, did they want to donate? their, their uh, belongings someplace. But really, no, there is no right or wrong time to do anything that comes up in your grieving process. Okay. The approach I usually take regarding this area, are, it's a three-word approach. It's gentleness, kindness, and acceptance. Okay. So first of all, in a grief journey, it's really important to be gentle with yourself to not beat yourself up for doing something, not doing something, feeling something, not feeling something, crying, not crying. Just be gentle about where you're at. Kindness goes along with gentleness. Sometimes being kind to yourself means just sitting still and not worrying about anything that needs to be done. So taking that time to really check in with yourself 
and see what you need to feel okay is really important. And then acceptance. Acceptance meaning I'm right here in my grief journey. And right now, this is what I can do. Tomorrow, it's going to be totally different. But right now, this is what I accept as where I am at. And that's a very hard one because it's hard to accept sometimes. Mm -hmm. But in regards to that closet, you know, for instance, a spouse opens the door and sees all of his wife's clothes and it's all of his memories of her and all of the things they did together. And so why would he want to get rid of that? Why would he want to dispose of those memories? Right. Maybe right. he does. Maybe they're bad memories. Maybe it's too painful. And so in that case, yes, he might do it right away. Right. But there is no definite time. Despite what kids might say, oh, come on, mom, clean out the closet. You know, you got to get moving. You got to get moving. No, you don't. No, you don't. There are people who would never have cleaned out their spouse's belongings. Like you said, Kathy, until the day I die. And it's okay. Yeah. There is no right or wrong way. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I've even considered the fact that, gosh, it would be nice to just give away my home to someone with the condition that I can just walk away and they will clean up everything that's behind me. <laughs> I have to say that has come to mind. And I also have to guess I'm not alone in that thought. I have gotten rid of some of Tom's things, but I find I do it somewhat a piece at a time or an area at a time. And it's not just the closet. It could be the garage. You know, maybe your spouse had some tools. Maybe there's a collection. So, yeah, it takes time. That idea of kind of doing it piece by piece, stages. You know, if you just can't stand to look at something, but you can't stand to get rid of it, bag it up. Put it in a box. You don't have to remove it from your home to have it out of your immediate environment. Great idea. Great perspective. Mm -hmm. You might be okay to do it in five years if it's in mm -hmm. a box somewhere, but yeah. yeah. And then the thing I always like to say, well, I say it about housework, but <laughs> if you're not feeling, <laughs> if you're not feeling like you can do it just yet or today, it's still going to be there tomorrow. So if you need time for yourself that day, then just take it. It'll still be mm -hmm. there and you can do it when you're ready. It's part of self-care is recognizing that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it might be, um, depending on the relationship with the person who has passed, it might be that the day after they die, you get everything cleaned out because you can't handle having a reminder right. of them around. Right. And that's okay, too. Right. It's really about gentleness, kindness, and acceptance. Yeah. You have to take stock of where you're at hmm. and do what feels right today. And tomorrow, it might feel wrong that you did it. But you have to be gentle with yourself and accept that you did it and why did you do it type of Good thing. Point. So, yeah, it's it's not, there is no right or wrong or... or Good. And there's no time. Nope. Right. Good. Right. Good. Not at all. So, for example, if a loved one's chronically ill and they've reached the stage uh, in their illness where dressing daily is not a part of their routine or anything... Is there an advantage to cleaning the closet and getting rid of clothing or anything before they die? Well, yes and no. So first of all, is this person still able to say, hey, don't touch my stuff? <laughs> you know, just because they're not getting dressed doesn't mean they're still not who they are. Right. Right. And so if they are able to speak for themselves, somebody who is chronically terminally ill has lost so much control, mm. responsibility, independence. And to assume that doing something like this is good for them 
is not okay. Yeah. Um, it would be up to that person to say, you know what? I'm not going to be using those pants anymore. I'm sure there's some homeless people who could. Why don't you give those away? Mm -hmm. But if that person is gotten to the point where they're no longer interacting, it's still a matter of they deserve respect and consideration. And it comes down to, are you ready to do that as the grieving person? Mm -hmm. Maybe, hopefully, you've discussed this before they got to that point. Mm -hmm. When you were talking to them about what do you want, what do you, what do you hope is remembered about you? Mm -hmm. And if that's, if it is something that they said, you know, clean it out, just get rid of it, go for it. Sometimes we need tasks to focus on when someone yeah. is that close to dying. Yeah. And if that's, if that's something that you can do to take the pain away for a few hours, mm -hmm. more power to you. There, again, there's no right or wrong. But just make sure that the person is okay with what you're doing, with their belongings. Mm -hmm. That's the important yeah. piece. Yeah. And that might be a good time to put stuff in boxes mm -hmm. or bags and right. maybe not get rid of it, but boxed mm -hmm. up. And speaking from personal experience, when Tom was ill, we hadn't even put him in a facility. Someone said to me, if you want to box up his clothes and stuff, I'd be happy to deliver them wherever you want them to go. I was so hurt and offended because I wasn't quite ready. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew that was probably going to be the outcome, mm -hmm. but I wasn't quite ready to hear that. Right. So um, good answers. Good answers. We talk a lot about clothing because that's probably the most, most common one we think of. And maybe the most numerous as far as what's in the closet or the dresser drawers. But our loved ones also had other possessions. And sometimes these can present an even greater challenge because of memories attached. Again, husbands might have tools in the garage or a collection of sports memorabilia. My husband had bullets. <laughs> he, was a, he was a gun collector of sorts. So I, I interject that just, just, yeah. just for a little humor. <laughs> he, he was a lifelong member of the NRA. He was a Vietnam veteran. and. He just truly, truly believed that every human being should know how to operate and possess a gun. And in, in the days as he failed, his clutter factor increased. Let's just say that. So I had a lot of, and it wasn't just that. It was holsters he had purchased and, and all of that. And obviously, I had a lot of memories attached to that because we used to have huge arguments and debates about gun rights. He was for, I was not quite so for. At any rate, wives, on the other hand, might have shelf after shelf of cookbooks, or they might have collected little knickknacks or salt and peppers, something like that. Any thoughts on removing these items from our lives so that we can kind of deal with and then maybe later avoid those constant memories? So again, this is totally subjective and personal. Everybody is different. There is no right or wrong. And it might depend on where you are in the grief journey. If it's a brand new grief, if the person has just died, say within the last month, you're going to feel very differently than you do in six months or a year about those things. One lady that I worked with, actually, she was really struggling with her husband's, he actually had knickknacks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he collected all kinds of sports memorabilia right. and it was all through the house. And she said, I walk from room to room and it's all I see. Right. But she was really struggling with disturbing it because that would be like disturbing the shrine in her right. mind. So we slowly talked about 
you know, which one do you think you could move first? Right. And when you're ready to do it, do it. Eventually we got to where everything was moved to one room. Mm -hmm. And when she really needed to feel him, she'd walk in there and just sit in the chair and look at all of his stuff. Mm -hmm. But the rest of her house was, I won't, I won't say memory free, but it was not right in her face. Mm -hmm. Right. So she could go about her day without having him on her shoulder all the time. Right. So some people may find that that signed baseball is very triggering because they mm -hmm. remember when, when their husband caught it or something. Right. Another person might sleep with it because it brings comfort. Right. So actually that shrine area in the house has really helped a lot of people to feel like they're not removing the person. Right. They're just, they're just kind of putting it in a little pocket in one area right. and they can pull it out whenever they need it, mm -hmm. but they're not totally dismissing all of those memories that come with that's all those. A, that's a great idea. Yeah. That's a great idea. And uh, again, I have to interject a personal story. D today seems to be that kind of day. Mm -hmm. I've been ruminating a lot today, but uh, I remember my mother was the inveterate planner. And of course she planned for her end of life and her death. And over the years, you can imagine how many little knickknacks and everything she had acquired um, from, <laughs> from children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, everything like that. And she had a china cabinet filled with all these little knickknacks and some were scattered around. So she took the time to ask each of these people to tell her what they would like of her stuff. Mm -hmm. She really didn't get as much feedback as she had hoped for. So she took a few pads of post-its and I'm not underestimating here, mm -hmm. a few pads of post-its. And she proceeded to label and stick a little post-it note on the bottom of every knick-knack. And the first name she would put, of course, would be the name of the person who gave it to her mm -hmm. because she believed that she'd go right. back to that person. And then she would just decide who might want this. She also used to take ceramic classes. So she had a lot of things she had made. And she did the same thing with those things maybe that we had commented on. Mm -hmm. Very, very sadly, when Stephanie and I were cleaning out her apartment after she died, we asked all of the granddaughters, who wants this, who wants this, who wants this? And very sadly, there were very few of those items that were claimed. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, to people that even though you think somebody may welcome right. a memory, they, they may not. It may not be helpful for them. It may, in fact, be counterproductive. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't want that reminder in their house. So. Again, everybody is just so, right. so different. And as one yeah. of those granddaughters, I have to say the thing, you know, come that time, it was, Neil was just joking about this the other day. He says that he goes, we have like 7,000 African violet pots that my yeah. grandma made in ceramics class. And she always had African violets that was in the, right. in the bay window. That's what we remember. Mm -hmm. But those African violet pots that grandma made and she, she had used, that's what we all ended up splitting amongst us. Exactly. We all exactly. wanted some. And so we've got, yep. a, and, and I don't have 5,000. I maybe have 10. He is really exaggerating, but 10,000 or 10 violets. <laughs> what? Pots. Violet pots. You see, we have so many of these. No, no, we don't. And you're not yeah, getting see, rid and of our those. family has turned that into a, a memory that will make us all smile and laugh. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. which is also important yeah. when you're 
donating and mm -hmm. delegating some of these yeah. some of these items too is to kind of remember it with it. Yeah. And I mean, too, when we were, you know, when I was like 10 and maybe commented on something that she made or I gave her, it's totally different than when she passed. I was in my, what, 20s or early 30s. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have the same connection possibly to something or, you know, right. so that that's that can change as well. Personal story. I, you made me think of something, so I have to share this. So also my mother was a very devout Irish Catholic lady with a great devotion to Mary. And she had several Mary statues here, there, and everywhere. And um, when she did pass, those of us who weren't quite as devout tried to figure out what to do with them. And there were three in particular that we were trying to figure out. One of them was a church-size Mary. So she was a good oh, four yes. foot tall which had been in the family for a while. And so it had more, you know, sentimental than religious value to some of us. Then there was uh, Minnie Mary, who was a countertop one, about, you know, 18 inches or so. And then there was Wee Mary, <laughs> who was sat on the windowsill and both hands had broken off because she blew over in the breeze so many times. And so it just so happened that none of us really wanted Mega Mary. <laughs> and so the name. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's how we, we you know, defined them. And uh, so we ended up, um, it was around the time of, I want to say it was, um, it was in Louisiana, one of the hurricanes, one of the major ones, I can't think of the name, Katrina, there we go. And the churches were trying to rebuild. And so we actually got in touch with a volunteer group that took the statue and so it found oh, a home in a Catholic church yeah, that we needed. Nice. Yes. And I'm sure she would have been yes, proud of I ended that. Up taking yeah. Exactly. Yes. It's kind of, it's, it's um, yeah. helping the community. It's turned in into a legacy. Right. Family. Very nice. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Very nice. And so I, I took Wee Mary, the, the countertop or the um, windowsill mm -hmm. one, and she's still sitting in front of my sink. And every time I open the window, she flies <laughs> off into the sink and we giggle and I put her back. But Minnie Mary has made several trips. <laughs> she kind of has become the, um, the surprise, you might say, <laughs> in our family. We all of a sudden, someone will say, Oh, damn it. Who left Minnie Mary? <laughs> and then in a, maybe six months, a year, maybe two years, she'll show up someplace else. How fun. It's now gone to the next generation. Yeah. Uh, was sent to Colorado to my nephew, and uh, he ended up with Minnie Mary for a while. And so those things, part of my point is something that was extremely important and special to my mom. Is also important and special to us, right. but in a different, different way. way. Right. We remember her right. through it, and we're making memories right. with Mary. Right. Um, I mean, she she had floaty on at the lake. I mean, yeah. it was it was a riot. We we've got pictures of her in the tree. Oh it's my just, goodness, I love that. Hmm. I love that. Yeah, you you just never know what right. the little yeah. are going to end yeah. up doing. That's great. Oh. Another dreaded task I think of are those thank you notes that you have to send out for donations and flowers, are they really necessary? Do people really want to receive them? And if they're really necessary, and I know Emily Post would say yes, <laughs> but how, how can you either eliminate the task or make it less stressful? Well, first of all, Emily Post be damned. Okay. <laughs> um, this is a, you know, there is no etiquette with grief. Normally, uh, traditionally, within two to three weeks, is thought to be a good time frame. But as we all know, with grief, there is no time frame for anything. So from a processing your grief perspective, coming from my therapy background, I do think 
that doing thank yous is important if you can manage it for several reasons. Number one, people do like to know that you received right. whatever they sent, and that's kind of acknowledging it. And it's part of the ritual that okay. we go through, especially right after someone has died. Those rituals are what help us hold together sometimes because we're focused on the rituals so we don't have to think about the grief yet. We get through that shock yeah. time, so yeah. to speak. Again, if you can't do it, it's okay. It's okay. A year later, though, if you say, you know what, I really want to thank Barb for those beautiful mm -hmm. flowers, it's okay to send yeah. it then. It's really what's going to help you in your process. But if you're feeling like you're supposed to and you're going to have guilt about it, number one, gentleness, kindness, acceptance, back to those. I like it. Get some pre-printed cards with a nice verse that you mm -hmm. like and just mm -hmm. sign your name. Get some friends or family who are always saying anything I can do to help. Get them to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Get them to address them and put them in Good. the mail for you. You just sign it. Good. Okay. Um, do a cer certain number yeah. a day, three or yeah. four only. Great idea. So, yeah, the rote tasks in the early grieving is, I think, okay. is important. Great idea. Do. Oh, dear. And oh, that dreaded first social event. I know how many times I replied, yes, I'll be there, only to spend the days leading up to the event searching for a plausible excuse to not go. How can we make this a little bit more palatable and actually get ourselves out of the house? First of all, don't say yes to somebody that you wouldn't say yes to any other time. <laughs> good point. <laughs> okay. If you know <laughs> if you know you're not going to have a good time, you're going out of obligation, that's mm -hmm. not the one to say yes to. Okay. But if it's somebody that you really want to spend time with normally, tell them the truth. Say, I really want to come to this. I don't know how I'm going to feel the day of. Right now I'm going to say yes, but I might say no. And hopefully if it's a good friend or a family member, they're going to understand right. where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Okay. And give yourself that permission to change your mind. It's okay. You, you don't have to feel guilty about changing your mind. Ask somebody to go with you. If you feel better having that second person with you at first mm -hmm. because you're used to being a double or a couple, it's okay to take your granddaughter with you. She may be bored out of her skull, but who cares? You know, <laughs> she's doing something for right. grandma. <laughs> and the other, from the other side of the coin, if you do end up getting there, you do end up going and you have a good time, don't feel mm -hmm. guilty. You are not forgetting the person who isn't there right. with you. Right. You're actually getting a little window of relief from the pressure of the grief. Yeah. And so it's important to push yourself a little mm -hmm. bit for that social stuff because otherwise you can start getting stuck in the right. grief but it's also okay to to say yes and have every intention to but then when the moment comes it's just not time yet okay. also i would suggest instead of going to somebody's christmas party you know ask a friend could we just do lunch okay. and make it a very small type of first time out of the house on a social event it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. a brouhaha the first right. time you do it you know just small steps can help in that way. And you can kind of get back to that normal socializing in, in small pieces. Good thoughts, good thoughts. So the holidays we know are very tough usually for everyone grieving. And there's a lot of resources out there for those who are grieving and some help on how to get through them. But something less discussed are excursions to places where memories might blind you with unanticipated intensity of normal, like frequent vacation spot, a restaurant you enjoyed together. How could we prepare ourselves for these? Well, 
This is the aspect of grief that will always be able to blindside us. Um, So basically the preparation we can make is to prepare by understanding that you can't prepare. There's just no way. You're going to be perfectly fine. This might be six years down the road and you're driving along and you see a street sign or a road sign that you guys made a joke Mm -hmm. out of 20 years ago and you burst into tears. It's okay. Those things are going to happen. You can't avoid them. Those, that, that preparation, just when you think you got everything just so, it's just not going to work. If you walk into a building that you totally forgot about being in with that loved one and you just get this wave of emotion and wave of, of usually sadness, but sometimes mm-hmm. not. Try to stay with the feeling for a moment if you can. You know, if you burst into tears and you're in public and everyone's looking at you, you're going to feel worse, obviously, but it's okay. It's okay to have that reaction and, you know, just put your hand up and say, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just grieving here. You know, let, let the emotion come. Mm-hmm. And then instead of having it stuck down in there, it's up, it's up, it's out and it's done. Okay. okay. If we, if you try to stuff it back in, it's going to come up and bite your butt again in the future. Yeah. <laughs> so to speak. Stuffing in general is not good. <laughs> exactly. No, no. So basically preparing for those things by, by understanding you can't prepare right. for yeah. it. It's just going to happen. Good advice. Does it get any easier with time? <laughs> are any of these easier if you merely delay <laughs> experiencing them? Or are we better off just sucking it up and getting through it? Um, I love that. Uh, So the amazing thing about us as humans is that our psyche and our heart, if we allow it to, um, really have the ability to know when it's the right time. If we allow ourselves to heal through the grief as our psyche wants to, we can handle things in the right time for ourselves. Mm -hmm. It can depend on the kind of person you are. Are you the person that does a cannonball into the pool or do you put one toe in at a time? Yep. Yep. Okay. Those people who do cannonballs are probably going to say, I'm going to, I'm just going to barrel through this and it's going to hurt like hell, but I'm going to get through it. Okay. And those toe people are going to pick a little bit at a time, you know, and, and see how they deal with it and then go back and get a little more. And either way is okay. Again, you have to be a little bit aware of not letting yourself go too far one way or the other and causing a real more of a, a, a mental health concern right. with your grief right okay as, as kathy said stuffing right. it is never okay if you keep putting off right. and keep putting off and keep putting off and 20 years from now you still haven't done any mm-hmm. grieving you're gonna well and sometimes people never do right. the grief and that can be yeah. done too sometimes the grief journey will be similar to how uh, we handle other stressful situations so again if you put your head down and you go in and you do something mm-hmm your grief might do the same thing. They're just, there's no knowing if it will get easier with time. However, once you go through something like walking into that building and having that, that response, the next time one of those things shocks you, it may not shock you as deeply because you've already established a response to that shock. So there's a familiar pathway in your brain really for that, for that grief response to follow. So yes, things can get easier over time, but just know that there might come one that's brand new and mm-hmm. it's not going to be yeah. easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was there for a yes and no all at once. But, but it's the truth. <laughs> it's the truth. Yeah. You know, and that's why grief is so difficult 
for everyone Mm -hmm. because there's no way to predict it. There's no way to say, okay, it's day 17. This is how everything's going to be. It's unique. Uh Everybody is different. And we just have to kind of go through it. What we can do to help ourselves is listen to things like this podcast, read if you want to, talk to others. I know there are people out there that you can talk to very honestly, and they will listen. They may respond. They may not, but they will listen. But take advantage of those resources because that's going to be the best way to move you Mm -hmm. forward so that you don't get stagnant and stuck. That's when grief could be a real issue and you might need some professional help. Sadly, Mm -hmm. we have used up our half hours go so (laughs) fast when we're having good conversation. And today's was really good. And I hope others find it very helpful as well. They may be things you've heard before, but now it's in this capsulized version where you can just kind of listen to it, re-listen to it, whatever. Uh, I mean, even in the first few minutes, Marge, you said something in a way that would just be so nice to have in a little captured comment, a little sound bite that almost like an affirmation every day somebody could listen to. Mm-hmm. We also mm-hmm. promote self-care, so we want to remind everybody. Marge, before we wrap up, do you have anything you would like to say directly to our listeners? Yes. Remember the gentleness, kindness, and acceptance. As you go through your grief, you are the one experiencing it. You are the only one that knows how it feels. And when other people try to help you along, it's more to make themselves feel more comfortable in, in your grief. So it's okay to say, no, I'm. this is where I am. I accept where I am. And to be gentle with yourself about going through each day. And remember, today works because you did something a certain way, tomorrow it may not work the same, and that's okay. You'll find a way through it. If you need help, reach out. There are resources for grieving support, like this podcast, Um, and there's also professionals. If you feel like your grief is really getting your life bogged down, don't be afraid to reach out for professional help. Again, good words. Thank you again so much for being here and for talking us through some of these dreaded tasks of grief. Uh, We appreciate it so very, very much. And now we'll have to think of another reason to have you back because this this is is great I'd love to. So listeners, okay, it's time. We have to say goodbye again. Everybody take care of yourselves. Keep moving forward. Reach out if you need some help. And we hope you'll tune in again next week as we all continue to live in grief. Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover or do you have a question from one of our episodes? Please email us at info at asiliveandgrieve.com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.